You are listening to a message from Bethany First Church of the Nazarene, online at bethanynaz.org. And so anytime I can come and, and be part of uh, this service and speak, it is a privilege. Thank you for having me here. Not too long ago, my youngest daughter, Brooklyn, who's 10, began to, um, began to play the piano. And uh, when she isn't dancing or beatboxing, she's playing the piano. And she uh, just plays all the time. We decided that we would take her to a contest, a uh, recital type thing up here at SNU. And so we had her in the, uh, I had her in the back of my car and she'd been practicing all week and, and she was ready to go. And I knew she was ready to go, but uh, from the back seat, I heard, um, I heard her say, hey, hey dad, you know, you know what I'm worried about today? I'm thinking, no, I mean, I feel like she's pretty prepared. And so I just said, no, no, honey, what, what are you worried about? She said that Russia will take over the world. <laughs> it was just so random. I thought she was going to say, you know, I was going to mess up on a note or, or something like that. But she's stuck in the Cold War still. And we don't, we don't have these conversations at our house. We're not talking about Russia. Um, but apparently it's, it's on her mind. And, and the truth is there are real fears and there are real worries in our world. And it's not to be taken lightly. It seems that everywhere we look, there are things that beckon us, that tempt us to worry. I've been tempted all week to fret about this sermon. You may be concerned that I'll speak too long. We often find ourselves worried about this world, the kind of world that we're going to leave our kids. What kind of world will they inherit? Will they embrace faith the way that they should? Will they be safe? Many of us worry about accumulating things. It's a myth called accumulation. And it flies in the face of this idea that we just don't have enough. And so we worry and we hear the words of Christ as he begins this whole teaching on worry. When he says this in Matthew 6 and 24. No one can serve two masters. If you try, you will wind up loving the first master and hating the second or vice versa. People try to serve both God and money, but you can't. You must choose one or the other. Choosing to serve God means refusing to worry. If you want to have a life well lived, this is going to have to be something you embrace. Choosing to serve God means refusing to worry. There's a certain businessman and he was always 
worried and he was always accumulating. He was always working very hard and he, he just was never happy and he was unpleasant to be around and his co-workers knew this. And so they would often come to him and they try to avoid him in the morning because he was just grumpy. But then one day they realized that he was different, that he was more upbeat, that he was uh, smiling and, and people actually wanted to be around him. And so one of his friends at work said, hey, what, what has happened to you? I mean, there's been such a change. The man said, you know, I, I realize I, I, I worry a lot. And I'm always worried. I'm driven. And, and I just decided that I was going to pay somebody else to worry for me. And so that's what I did. And his friend's like, well, how much does that cost you? And the guy's like, it cost me $1,000 a week. His friend's like, how do you afford that? He said, I'm going to let him worry about that. (laughs) That would be nice, wouldn't it? We wouldn't have to worry about our own stuff. But hear the words of Christ. Here is the bottom line. Do not worry about your life. Don't worry about what you will eat or what you will drink. Don't worry about how you clothe your body. Living is more than merely eating. And the body is about more than dressing up. That's easier said than done, right? I think anxiety is in the DNA of our culture. We've become so familiar with it. It's like we don't even notice it anymore. It's right there all the time. We wouldn't know what to do without it. The news makes its living on worry. I always think it's funny when, when a news commercial comes on and, and you hear something like, you want to find out how to keep flesh-eating insects out of your house? <laughs> yeah. Well, tune in at 10. I'm like, well, why don't you just tell us, you know? I mean, if you care, you just tell us. But they don't tell us because they want us to worry. Because worry begets fear, and fear makes you tune in. Fear makes you stop and listen. Fear is a franchise. It seems to me that this call from Christ to not worry is a bit idealistic, if you think about it. Is this another impossible task? Isn't Jesus always asking us to do these these things that seem hard? I mean, just a few verses earlier in the Sermon on the Mount, he says, Be perfect, therefore, as your Father in heaven is perfect. I'm not making that up. These are the words of Jesus. So now he's telling us to, to not worry. And here I am always worrying that I'm not perfect. Is it even possible? Can you live a life That is free of worry. Can you overcome the fears that threaten your faith? And Jesus seems to think so. We get a clue clue in in Mark chapter 4 with this story. Jesus is is spending the day teaching and healing and working with people. And he is fairly exhausted. He's talking about kingdom things. He wants people to know that there is a new vision, a new way to live in this world. And on the far side of the sea, he knows that there are people 
They're not Jewish people. They're more Greek than Jewish. Gentiles who need the same message, who need to hear of the kingdom of God, to need, who need the healing and the teaching. But to get to these outsiders, Jesus knows he has to cross the sea. So he urges his disciples to get into the boat. And it just so happens that it gives him just enough time to stretch out and go to sleep. And that's what he does. Tucked into an elevated platform on the back of the boat, we have the only recorded story in all of the New Testament of Jesus sleeping. It even says he has a cushion. And that's the only time a cushion is mentioned in the New Testament. And so here we have, I believe, Nazarenes, God ordaining the Nazarene nap. Amen? Of which I will be partaking this afternoon. Because WWJD, right? Isn't it ironic, though, when Jesus finally gets to sleep and he finally stretches out that the disciples begin to worry, they begin to fret, they begin to fear for their lives. The storm arose suddenly as it did in that region often in those days and even today. And in a matter of seconds, they were in what they considered to be a life-threatening situation. And the disciples respond as such with fear and, and with worry. And Jesus slept. Finally, the disciples had had enough of Jesus sleeping. They woke up the rabbi. How dare you sleep? We are going to drown. And it's funny, if you read the text, they don't even ask him to do anything. They just wake him up. It's like misery loves company, right? They don't, they don't want him to die in peace. You've got to die with us. It's scared. But Jesus wakes up, and what he does is speak harshly to the wind, and it shocks everyone. And he speaks a word of peace to the sea. And at that very moment, the sea became calm. And the disciples' fear turned to awe and gratefulness. And Jesus says this in Mark 4, verse 40. How can you be so afraid after all you've seen? Where's your faith? So it occurs to me, according to Jesus, that the opposite of faith is not doubt, as some of us suppose. The opposite of faith is fear. Too many of us are frozen with fear. <clears throat> we are uptight. We are worried. We lack trust. And think about all that we have seen. Jesus Christ, Son of the living God, who lived on this earth as an example, who was crucified, died, and buried, and rose again three days later from the grave, appeared to over 500 people and ascended into heaven. And as he ascended, he sent his spirit into the lives and the hearts of these who were once fearful disciples. Disciples like Peter, who was worried and fearful and denying. 
But when the Spirit comes on him, he begins to realize that there is a new reality that God has indeed initiated. And there are new initiatives. And there are new God provisions. And so he finally comes to the place where he realized that the same Jesus that calmed the sea can calm the turbulence in his own soul. I believe that is the case today for you and for me. If we look at the scripture, it says, if God gives such attention to the appearance of wildflowers, most of which are never seen, don't you think he'll attend to you and take pride in you and do his best for you? What I am trying to do here is to get you to relax, to not be so preoccupied with getting so you can respond to God's giving. People who don't know God and the way he works fuss over these things, but you know both God and the way he works. Steep your life, soak it, saturate it, immerse it in God reality and God initiative and God provisions. And don't worry about missing out. You'll find all of your everyday human concerns will be met. Now that's Eugene Peterson in his paraphrase. The way I learned this verse is this. Seek ye, and I like that ye, seek ye first his kingdom and his righteousness. And all these things shall be added to you as well. What do you, what do you seek first in your life? That's a good question to ask yourself today. What do you seek first in your life? Is it the comfort of friends, the medication of material things, belongings, stuff, houses, cars, clothes, food? Or maybe it's the satisfaction of, a, a, of work, a job well done, or excellence in a sport or a hobby or Achievements, or the security blanket of your personal technology, or the joy of your family, the security of your freedom, the love of creed or country, religious ritual, inalienable rights. Maybe it's the constant pursuit of pleasure or the rigid discipline of piety. The list goes on and on. And most of these things are normal. Not bad, natural pursuits. They are not the problem. We are. And Jesus questions us and challenges us on our priorities. What do we put first? Instead of God and these things, perhaps we should say God only or God first, then these things. Because all these things will be given to you as well. For many, this lesson from Jesus is uh, it's a light of hope. You are in a dark tunnel of worry. There are so many things crashing down on you. And you just need to hear that you can give these to Jesus and you can seek 
God first and be done with the worry that debilitates you. For others, it makes you a bit uncomfortable, to be honest. Because you are in what John of the Cross called the dark night of the soul. And because of that, your worry is close to you. You you like it. It's familiar. You're going through this trial and this suffering and this pain. And, And to take worry out of it, well, that doesn't seem right. And then others feel like maybe Jesus is is being kind of flippant. I mean, shouldn't we prepare for a rainy day? I mean, don't don't we have the responsibility to be concerned about things? And I don't think Jesus is making light of legitimate concerns in our world. But there is a difference between concern and worry. Concern can coexist with trust. Worry cannot. Concern is not all-consuming. Worry is. Worry fills us to the breaking point. Worry dominates our perspective. Worry is when those other things come first and God comes second. Now, you you may say, but look at our world. Aren't there legitimate fears to be worried about? And there are some very real evils. In this world, there are people who want to do us harm. There are powers and principalities that can unleash so much destruction in our lives. But I believe Jesus holds his ground when he says this. Who of you, by worrying, can add a single hour to your life? One morning over 20 years ago, I said goodbye, I said I love you, to my wife, who dropped me off at school, and I went into the schoolhouse to teach. Little did I know that when I turned and watched that car drive away, that was the last time I would ever see her alive. That was a real tragedy in my life to lose my wife of two years when I was 23 years old. And it still tempts me to worry. It still, it still sits there and makes me worry. God in his providence allowed me to love again. And in May, Talia, my wife, and I, we will be married 20 years We have three amazing daughters. And when I get up in the morning and I say goodbye and I kiss them, they walk out that door. I turn around and watch them go. I wonder. All I can do is pray and say, Oh God, if it is your will, bring us back together safely again in the evening. It's kind of like I'm saying, I'll let him worry about that. I'll let him worry about that. Corey Ten Boom was raised with her family in Holland in the 1930s. Many of you know her story. She was uh, 
in in Holland when the Nazis invaded and they were a Christian family. They practiced prayer and they trusted God and they tried their best to help and love their neighbor. And this meant at that time that they would be engaged in, in uh, hiding their Jewish brothers and sisters from the Gestapo. And so they would build false walls in their house. And over the years, they saved hundreds and hundreds of Jewish brothers and sisters from uh, Nazi Germany. Many times the Gestapo would be going through their house and they would be worried, they would be concerned, and they would go to prayer. But soon they were discovered. And soon uh, they were put into prison, into a German prison, the whole family. And later they were transferred into Ravensbrück concentration camp. Ten days after they were in prison, Corey's dad, Casper, died. And she watched him pass away. And then, just days before they were to be released, her sister, Betsy, passed away. She was so frail and weak from dehydration and undernourished. And as she died, she spoke to Corey in a soft whisper. She said this, there is no pit so deep that God is not deeper still. Can you hear that today? There is no pit so deep that God is not deeper still. Amen? Upon a release, Corey said, God does not have problems he has plans. God does not have problems. He has plans. In her older days, after serving the Lord for 30-some years and having a great Christian witness and learning what it means to be a person of forgiveness, she wrote these words down in her journal. She said this, Worrying is carrying tomorrow's load with today's strength. It's carrying two days at once. It is moving into tomorrow ahead of time. Worrying doesn't empty tomorrow of its sorrow. It empties today of its strength. So do not worry about your life. What you shall eat or drink or what you shall wear. For the pagans run after these things. And your heavenly father knows that you need them. But seek first his kingdom and his righteousness. And all of these things shall be added to you. As well. Who of you, by worry, can add a single hour to your life? As we close today, I want to invite you to pray. We have cards down here at the altar, and I imagine that there are some of you that are just looking at your own life and see that you are, are filled with worry. 
It has become this issue that dominates everything that you think. Perhaps today you, you want to come down and just write a worry on this card, this piece of paper. And we have trash cans that you can just uh, throw in here at the edge of the altar. Just it's symbolic. Get rid of the worry in your life. Give yourself first to Christ. And He will take care of all the rest. Some of you may just want to come and pray. And that's good and appropriate. And you should. I want you to respond however you feel God leading you to respond. Let us stand together and let's just pray real quick. God, I thank you, Lord, for who you are. God, you you look at us with concern and care. You beckon us to a life well lived. And and as part of that, we are called to get rid of these fears that just freeze us and debilitate us and, and embrace you and to seek you first. And by doing so, we can rest assured that there's nothing we can go through, no tragedy and no pit so deep that you are not deeper still. And so, God, I pray for that person who is right now traveling through that dark night. That you would enable them to release their worry and rest in you. And for those others who who know that they've given their lives completely and, and, and they've just surrendered all of their worry to you. I pray, Lord, that they will continue to do so. And however you move, Lord, help us to seek you first with our whole hearts and our whole mind. We love you. You unravel me with a melody You surround me with a song of deliverance my enemies till all my fears are gone and I'm no longer a slave to fear I am a child of God and I'm no From my mother's womb You have chosen me been born again to a family no longer bound by chains and I'm no longer slave to fear and I am a child of God 
this benediction. Go now knowing that the Christ who calmed the sea is present with you enough to calm the turbulence in your own soul. He is with us. Go with him in Christ's name. Amen. You are dismissed. You have been listening to a message from Bethany First Church of the Nazarene. Visit us online at bethanynaz.org.